the key thing is about giving people a better way of life. I think we've got the technology, engineering capability, the people in the world now to make us all be able to live really good lives that are increasingly more sustainable. Hey everyone, I'm Sina Hagiha and welcome to First Serve. The path to live a fulfilled and abundant life is to learn, grow and serve. And that is what this podcast is all about. We'll have guests on the show who are utilizing their skills to make a positive impact to our world. Together, we can gain a lot of insights, expand our knowledge and apply our learnings to serve others to the best of our abilities. In this episode, we're going to talk about the way we move. We all use a mode of transportation to get around, but do we really think about moving in the most efficient, cost-effective and sustainable way? We are going to discuss the emergence of electric and autonomous vehicles, renewable energy, and what the future of transportation will look like, along with its challenges. This is an area that impacts all of us, and we can all do our part by raising awareness, educating ourselves, and making more conscious decisions to protect our world. Our guest today is focused on driving the transition to sustainable mobility. Currently working at Immense, he helps cities, automotive manufacturers and fleet operators access the insights they need to efficiently move people and goods using data-rich modeling and simulation tools. He is passionate about the intersection of technology, transportation and energy and possesses a balance of technical and commercial experience within the domains of intelligent mobility, sustainable energy, and the built environment. He also holds an MSc in Sustainable Energy Futures from Imperial College London, where he led research into climate-friendly operation of autonomous vehicle fleets. Welcome to the show, Luke Rust. Hello, Sina. Thank you for having me. No worries. It's great to have you on. I'm just going to put it out there. Every time we have had a conversation around energy and transportation, It has been so insightful and I've honestly not met anyone so enthusiastic and passionate about this topic. So hopefully our listeners can feel the same vibe too. Good. I hope that's a good thing anyway. So what is it that you do exactly at Immense in in layman's terms? Okay, I'll try. I'm very good at making this very complicated. So Immense, we build digital models of cities and then enable subscribers to our platform to simulate different futures for transportation primarily. Um, But we're also crossing into other domains such as energy and and, and air quality as well. Um, So the whole premise is once you've built versions of London, San Francisco, Miami, they become very useful to a lot of people who want to understand what the future might look like given different changes to that world. Let's take COVID, for example. What does life beyond lockdown look like for many of these cities? And then how do we make sure that the changes we're making to transportation are facilitating the right sort of outcomes from uh, those sort of changes? So yeah, that's what we what we do. And um, we've, we've only been going four or five years now. So definitely, you know, still a, still a growing company, still learning how we best fit in the world and, and how we add most value. But it's been a great start. Yeah, that's amazing, man. And what an incredible journey. I think we don't consciously think about the way we travel and the impact of it as it's so ingrained into our daily routines and 
sometimes we only change the way we travel when we're forced to explore other options. And as an example, during this lockdown, for me, I didn't know how close I was to central London. I'm actually in walking distance to the city. I just knew how to get to work and I normally have to take the tube, which kind of deprived me from exploring London by foot. And I think this actually presented me with the opportunity to explore different ways to travel around London. So it's been quite a big revelation for me. So I can actually walk to some places quicker than the tube. And the added bonus is that I get my steps in also that way. London's a classic case of popping up in different parts of the city and never realizing how connected they all are on foot and overground, right? Um, and so what we're trying to do is, is help cities understand how they can more efficiently move people around because we don't all have perfect knowledge of transportation systems and what the best route for us to go is or the best mode of transport. So we often do what we've always done, right? So we're, we're trying to help cities and, and fleet operators develop the services whether that be electric or autonomous or, you know, even more rudimentary train services or, or whatever it is that can give people that choice to, to move in a more sustainable manner, but is also right for those, those people as well. And how did you get into this field of work? Tell us a little bit about your journey and how this all started. Yeah, so I guess um, my background's primarily in energy uh, and infrastructure. So I was kind of interested in sustainable energy before it got really cool probably yeah you know, 10 to 12 years ago and, and now it's a bit more trendy mainly because i thought it was interesting and you know harnessing sort of natural replenishable resource just made logical sense to me as opposed to the hyper complex uh coal-fired power stations that we, we've been deploying over the world for, for many years so you know since then we've seen climate change really impact lives around the world now and it's become sort of mainstream discussion in in the media and and wider so yeah i think what started as something that i thought was interesting and logical has become you know a real challenge for for the world you know i moved to australia earlier this year which was hit by pretty tragic bushfires followed by some really nasty flooding which you sort of look at those two events so close together and you think that something's not quite right here with the wider climate and so when I looked at that landscape 10 going to eight years ago, and I thought that actually energy and, and transportation is where some of the biggest challenges for that, for, for, for climate action is. And so I decided to, to, to get into that world. I undertook a, an MSc at Imperial focused on sustainable energy and, and really started to focus my research on uh, autonomous vehicles and their impact on the energy systems and actually wider air quality systems as well, uh, which led me to immense because they were trying to answer or allow people to answer very similar questions around what, what do these futures mean and then how do we go and uh, deploy the right futures for cities and how do we make sure that policymakers and the private sector are engaged on delivering the right programs. So joined Immense after uh, Imperial have been there coming up to three years now and been on a transition from five people on a whiteboard with some really good R&D programs um, through to being almost 50 people now across Spain, the UK, in San Francisco as well. And, and I'm also propping up the team in, in Australia at the minute. So yeah, it's kind of been a very exciting few years there and, and yeah, really, really enjoying it. Oh, cool, man. And you mentioned autonomous vehicles. You did your thesis on autonomous vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So what were 
your key findings? The key findings from, from that research was that we, we need to engage more with it. I think, um, you know, the, the, the technology is happening and it's being developed um, and it's going to come probably quicker than quite a few of us think, although, you know, a lot of the, the projections for, for this sort of technology have been pushed back quite significantly. The, the key thing for me from a climate point of view was that we need to start, um, policymakers need to start engaging with the private sector on this um, topic pretty soon because if we don't manage the um, operation of autonomous vehicle services, it could have some pretty negative effects on climate as well as congestion as well as other negative effects in cities. You know, if we allow them to travel around freely when they're empty and we allow them to go and refuel way out um, in the sticks away from the city centre, you're actually increasing the, the the kilometers that vehicles are traveling within our cities. So, yeah, I think it's actually, you know, I did that work maybe five, six years ago, and there's been a real shift in the way that cities and the private sector are collaborating and, and discussing these sort of things. And actually, the UK is one of the world leaders in developing policy for the deployment of autonomous vehicles, which is great. Mm-hmm. A question I have and a question that most of our listeners may have on their minds as well is how far away are we from autonomous vehicles because i keep hearing different projections how far are we really from me ordering a car to drive itself without a driver to pick me up and take me to wherever i want to go yeah yeah and there's you know there's a few phases to it i think we're we've been working on some programs in london where you know as a trial that can become a reality quite soon as a full-blown, uh, publicly available commercial service, that's a different challenge. So, you know, I think we're still 10 years away from that being a reality. I think there's a lot of yeah. barriers to, to that being a, a viable opportunity at the minute. But, you know, beyond 2030, I fully believe the technology is going to be ready. Regulation will be will be in place to to enable it, but also... The, the wider public will have had the the time to engage with this sort of technology and capability and actually be demanding for it. So I think, you know, probably working to a 10-year horizon. Mm. There'll be some small-scale deployments and, and applications of the tech that make a lot of sense. You know, if we look at university campuses or if we look at airports, you know, other sort of gated communities, they make really good sense for uh, trial number one for, the you know, the commercial use case of this tech. But actually, being out on the on the roads and in in mixed fleets with driven cars or human driven cars, that's a, a different challenge that we're probably ten years away from. It's exciting to see the progression in the space, and it's definitely an area that I'll be keeping an eye on. So I just want to touch upon the current climate we have and the energy transition going on. So a shift towards cleaner energy, renewables. We have car ownership decreasing. We have hydrocarbon demand decreasing. We have renewable energy costs decreasing. So what do you think of this climate? Do you think it's set up for the shift towards electric vehicles? Yeah, for sure. Hey, look, I think the transition was happening and it has been happening for a few years. I think the impact of COVID-19 around the world is actually only going to accelerate it. You know, we've seen the oil markets in turmoil around the world and you know, a real challenge for, for those players and how they now evolve their, their business strategy. And we've seen BP make some pretty significant moves over the last couple of weeks and so i you know i truly believe that this the future that we're trying to 
move towards, which, as you say, is potentially not even owning a car, um, use of renewable energy, um, actually potentially being self-sustaining in in people's homes, having solar on the roof with an electric car that they can charge and push push back into the grid and actually make money on these assets at some point. So, you know, I think it's all accelerating. Um, and yeah, I, I really do believe a lot of this is going to happen a lot faster than, than people think. There is energy is uh, very, very complex. And actually, can we get the grid, um, you know, trying to get the national grid to be future-proofed for the decentralization of, of energy is a massive, massive task, which we're sort of, you know, we've, we've historically been on on track to. But as this accelerates, you know, I think there's um, there are some big, big challenges that we need to uh, jump over as well. Now, just touching on the impact of COVID, we've seen carbon emissions drastically reduced. I've seen a lot of before and after pictures of the skylines of some cities. And it's just been amazing to see how the images have changed. Much cleaner air, cleaner water, the biggest drop in greenhouse gas emissions ever reported. I'm sure you're over the moon with these results. So should we encourage or enforce lockdowns more regularly? Interesting. And, and, like, and like you say, it's amazing to see what the world's done in response to us uh, changing the, the daily habits of, of people around the world. And hopefully people see those images and say, yeah, that's the world we want to live in, right? We've noticed it here in Australia. It's, it's been amazing weather for a couple of months now. And, you know, the skies have been clear, the waters have been clear, and it's just been amazing. So I hope people take this opportunity to, to change the way. I think they will, actually. I do think they will. Whether that's going to be dependent on more lockdowns, I don't think so. I really think we have to, there will be some policy that probably needs to come in place around, you know, whether it supports remote work or whether it's just caps on the way we travel into cities and actually wider mobility as well. You know, I think we've seen the congestion charge be raised in London, partly because there's a massive hole in TfL budgets now because no one's been using uh, public transport. But, you know, them doing that seven days a week at an additional cost will change people's behaviour in terms of the way they drive uh, into to London. So, you know, I think we're going to see more schemes like that become commonplace in cities because because transportation is such a big polluter and big, and big challenge for urban air quality. So, look, I, I really hope this is the catalyst to change a lot of the problems that we've had in our cities. The social unrest of putting people into lockdown regularly, I think, is is a, a counter argument for, for that. But I do think this decrease in carbon emissions might be a bit of a short-term thing. I hope that it is sustainable after this pandemic, but there's other things that have resulted from COVID which I think might actually reverse or even make it worse than what it was before in terms of an increase in car use like we've seen in China where people prefer to use their own cars rather than public transport now so you might actually see an increase in the cars on the road you might see factories ramping up their production to make up for lost time therefore burning like more fossil fuels you might see an increase in delivery vehicles now that there's a bigger presence of e-commerce everyone's ordering online so you'll have those delivery vehicles on the street so i think even though the impact of it right now is pretty good for the environment i think it might actually be more of a challenge in the future 
yeah, and and it's like you say, you know, all of those different potential futures are super complex, and and whether that sort of ends up balancing out to to kind of what we had previously will be interesting. And I guess picking up on your points, I think certainly in the short term, yes, we're going to see private car usage increase because because people don't want to share vehicles and they don't want to leave them leave themselves susceptible to you know any sort of virus you know once even once covid hopefully it is vaccinated against and and we're clear of it i just think that public health or people are going to be much more conscious of catching things uh, in public so i don't think we'll be going back to um packed tubes and, and buses around london yeah but i do think yeah it will certainly accelerate innovation innovations in autonomous vehicles maybe drone or robot deliveries now that we're moving to a more contactless mechanism of transacting yeah definitely and and like you know i guess the counter argument to my previous point was people are staying at home more hopefully you know people can realize they can work from home and they don't have to commute so you don't get the private car usage when they're going into work but on the other side of that because they're at home they are going to be using more delivery services and, and, and logistics and, and that whole space is ripe for innovation um, and we're seeing a lot of it and i think again covid will accelerate quite a lot of that in milton Keynes, you've got the little the little robots that have, have been doing deliveries around milton Keynes for a few years now and actually they've become a really nice way of people being able to access the um, goods that they need uh, at home without needing to put themselves in any sort of danger when taking them to the local supermarket right so the commercial case for autonomous vehicles on all sorts of different applications is is increasing so yeah i certainly think that we'll see more robot deliveries uh, drones is sort of air drones is a really interesting space which i think again will accelerate because the commercials start to stack up for these services again there's more regulation and challenges for operating these sorts of vehicles within cities but actually where we are in australia we're starting to see pilots and, and operators team up with local businesses to enable some last mile delivery of things like coffee and everything so you know we're, we're really starting to see people get access to these goods without needing to travel for them which is which is a good thing so on these delivery services increases I mentioned we might see a rise of fleets and you work a lot with fleets in, in your space. So what are the challenges they are currently facing? What are they coming to you for? How do you help resolve them? Yeah, interesting one. And you're right, you know, I think the rise of fleets is, is definitely happening. Fleetification is, is real, especially in transport. You know, we're, we are seeing reduced private vehicle ownership and we are seeing more people wanting to push a button on their phone and, and a vehicle come and pick them up. And, and move them around so that is is something that's not going away soon and even with covid i think that can still happen and whether there's more autonomy there or, or not the major challenges they're facing they really so actually it's, it's interesting we ran a poll on this recently on on twitter and had about thirteen thousand uh votes come in on on the, the the major challenges for fleet operators at the moment the the primary one was the transition to low emission vehicles Whilst it seems on the surface pretty straightforward to just buy a load of electric vehicles, you know, actually the manufacturers aren't producing them in enough quantities quick enough to support fleets. And on the other side of that, we, 
we still don't really understand or, or have access to the infrastructure needed to support these new types of low emission vehicles. So that's a major challenge for fleet operators because they need to uh, talk to and collaborate with people that they don't usually have to, like the energy service folks and people deploying charge points, but also the manufacturers, they have to work a little bit closely, more closely with them to make sure they're getting the right vehicles to sustain the service that they've had. So that's really complex. And that's something that simulation is certainly helping with. You know, let's uh, simulate what happened today with your normal fleet. And then if we change these to electric vehicles tomorrow, this would be the impact. And this is where you'd need charging. Um, this is the vehicle type that you would need to be able to sustain level of service. Actually, you're going to need 20 more vehicles to do that. You know, there's, there's so many questions that need answering in that world. And that's where simulation uh, is really, really powerful. The other challenges that we're seeing, one is trying to understand new cities. So how do they understand London? London's a very complex place, but if someone like Uber is a bad example because they're already in London, but someone wants to understand how they roll something out in London, whether it's electric, whether it's autonomous, you know, we need to really be able to get into those cities and understand where they can't turn left or what the different what the different speeds are or where the different congestion zones are. You know, all of these sorts of questions that they need to be able to understand of a new city, how many vehicles they need, what sort of demand is there, that's a real challenge. And then the other side of it is is demand for their their services. So, you know, if we look at tomorrow in London, where should we put vehicles? What's happening in that world? Are there events happening? Actually, a lot of that's changed now. So can we start to build demand patterns for tomorrow based on what the world looks like at the moment, which is getting more challenging, but being able to run different scenarios for that gives fleets more resilience to, to what might what might actually happen. So on electric vehicles, how come it hasn't really taken off in the UK and in a lot of other countries also? I don't think it has taken off either. I think only 2 to 3% of vehicles are EV. But in Norway, I see that they are taking the lead in this space. And maybe it's because they have special incentives around paying lower tax. They don't pay for toll rolls and they don't pay for parking in some places. So was it something that the government has to incentivize to help with the transition towards EV? Or is it a choice that consumers need to make themselves? So annoyingly, it's a bit of everything. So yes, governments need to support this. If they really believe that EVs are going to make a difference to their cities, they have to be able to support it. And we, you know, we've seen useful incentives in the UK over the last few years. You know, five or six grand off off the cost of a new um, electric vehicle is is good. I think the manufacturers play a part in that because historically, uh, electric vehicles were for milk floats and for like the G whiz and some terrible innovations. You know, and things that just weren't sexy for people to want to engage with. Whereas I think what's happened in the last 10 years, primarily led by uh, Elon Musk and, and, and Tesla, is, is that we've made electric vehicles something that people want to use. And so whilst we're not seeing the rapid uptake that we expected, people want to use them and people are trialing them. And you know, I think the, the stats on my next car will be electric are pretty pretty significant now. Um, and we've also got to be realistic that, that vehicles people usually have for four, five, six years before they move on to the next one. So hopefully, you know, we have to now start to think, is the next vehicle going to be electric? And, and government needs to set deadlines for, for when 
uh, people have to be driving in, in low emission vehicles. So, um, yeah, so it's a combination of let's make these vehicles nice and sexy so people want to use them. Let's make sure that people are trialing them and engaging with them and understanding um, actually they can use them because people worry like anything that they aren't going to reach their destination because they have uh, a too small a battery um, when actually it's going to save them so much effort of going to service stations when they can just charge overnight at home you know so there's kind of behavioral change required and, and people are just learning how we best best do these things but it's going to happen and we've got to look at places like norway for for how we do it properly and i saw the other day you actually drove a tesla how i was did that? yeah first time loved it that is like nothing I've ever driven before. I sat in it and said, hey, mate, how do I turn this thing on? And he goes, it's already on. It's just, you know, so quiet, <laughs> so different. And, um, yeah, it had uh, self-driving capabilities as well. So just uh, as we took it out, we did engage self-drive for maybe 10, 15 seconds, which is pretty surreal as well, just watching the vehicle navigate the city. So, yeah, it, it's very cool. It's a bit of a rocket ship, and I think people do – I can see a few people being scared once they get into something like that because it is quite a different experience to what they're used to. But like with many things, once you've once you've tried it and you understand it, then you know it's it should change the way people think about getting themselves around. Yeah, yeah, because I've heard when people try electric vehicles, that's when they really get hooked onto it. Yeah, that's right, and, and like they don't they won't go back to a conventional vehicle once you've, no, you've because tried it. And they're fun to drive as well. You know, the the power of an electric vehicle is not like the sort of lag you get when you push the accelerator on a on a conventional vehicle, right? So you push the accelerator on a Tesla and it just goes. It's like a scale electrics. So, you know, when, once people understand that it's it's also fun to drive, it's super, super safe. And actually the, the Model X that we drove can have six or seven people in that as well. So, you know, it's a proper family car, but it drives like a, something you'd want to take around the track. Um, yeah, look, I, I, and once people get over the the psychology of, so we're going to have to charge this every 200Ks, actually, how often are you traveling further than 200Ks? You know, not very. So there's some psychological barriers, but you're, you're right. If we can get more people trialing them, I think the that, um, the uptake will, will accelerate quite quickly. Yeah, I think there's this thought that there's not enough charging points, but I see them popping up all over the place. So I don't think consumers will have a challenge finding a charging point and charging. No, and that's exactly right. And I think if um, uh, if people do treat it like their mobile phone and they do charge at home, if they can, if they you know if they've got a house that can um, enable them to charge at home, I live in a, an apartment which prohibits me really being able to keep an electric vehicle here. You know people realize they can charge at home. I think that's a great thing. And we're starting to see a lot more destination charging. You know, if we look at the the, the activity patterns of people, where are they likely to go and uh, and then be for a certain period of time, whether that's shopping centers, whether that's cinemas, whether that's restaurants, you know, all of those sort of destinations have now got a part to play in enabling people to charge these, these vehicles. And, and hopefully they can have some benefit out of having those sorts of, um, that sort of infrastructure on site at their, place of entertainment so yeah i think having a mix of home-based charging as well as uh, destination charging for wherever people are should be able to do most of it and then you know if you're going from london to edinburgh 
you know, let's let's think about where we need rapid charges along that route to make sure that people can do those sorts of longer journeys as well. So I read some of that London's targeting sixty percent of its vehicles to be electric by twenty thirty. Do you think we're on target for this? I don't think we are. I think it is changing quickly. You know, I think we're starting to see electric buses come in mm. and be be really viable. I don't know if you saw there's an awesome company based in uh, Banbury called Arrival, who I, I shared some, some details on the other day. Um, mm. They've just developed an electric bus, which is, you know, again, it's more than just, hey, we've changed the, the way this is fueled and, and runs. They've actually created an experience within that bus, which is nothing like we've seen before. So, you know, if we can have more of this innovation coming through into public transport and get people wanting to use it, I think we can start to, to see certainly the uptake on, on, on the public side and then having a mix of uh, good incentives to, for, for consumers to, to buy electric mixed with the, the regulation of you can't come into the city centre unless it's an electric or pay a premium for access to that road. That should start to shift it. And we're still 10 years away. Right, it's, it, this is the right time to be having that sort of conversation, starting to put that regulation in place. Because as people do start to to switch their their vehicles, you know, some people might not want to own another vehicle, especially in London. Let's try and you know, best case, let's people uh, get rid of their car and just want to use fleets and, and public transport. If they do need a vehicle, let's make sure the next one they're they're buying is electric. So, look, I think it's definitely achievable. I'd actually love it to be a little bit higher for London, but. Yeah, I think we've probably been a little bit slow to to get going, and this is the real opportunity now to to kind of push that home. Do you not think that the low commodity prices at the moment stifle this transition? I don't think it really helps, right? Yeah, it was it was um, it was really interesting actually reading about you know price of price of oil dropping to to negative in in some parts and uh, and what that does, and there was a worry that you know that will stifle innovation certainly in electric vehicles because hey it was so cheap to fill up my diesel car with fuel so of course i'm just going to stick with this for a little while the other side to that is that um you know i think people became quite aware of the negative impacts of oil and specifically the climate impacts of that so i think there's definitely a more conscious consumer these days around a lot of this so i'm hoping that kind of counterbalances that and actually i think we will see is the supply the supply side of oil is going to change quite significantly beyond this because you can't keep going below negative prices or below zero prices for, 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 for very long. So the whole supply side of that industry is going to change quite significantly. And then we'll see what happens when that kind of balances out again and, and, and whether we see the prices go back to being quite expensive and, and, and driving the shift to, to low carbon again. But yeah, certainly in the short term, it, it doesn't help. It just depends how the consumers decide to see everything that's going on. So isn't the other thing that stifles innovation to do with the profitability of EV? Because I saw, for example, that Dyson created that electric vehicle and then scrapped it recently. And I read that it costs around £150,000 just to break even. So is that a barrier to entry for a lot of car manufacturers and a lot of new manufacturers? Because the ones that are releasing electric vehicles at the moment are basically subsidizing from their conventional vehicle sales. So I don't think it is a profitable business and that is probably dampening the amount of innovation we need in this space. Yeah, look, I think 
And to a certain extent, I think that's fair. But, you know, conventional vehicles are not highly profitable either. The profit margins on diesel and petrol vehicles are pretty minimal, which is why they have to operate at scale. And so when something like uh, COVID happens and car sales start to dry up, you know, a lot of the big automotive manufacturers have real problems. And we're starting to see some consolidation there where they're starting to team up and, and, and work together on a lot of this. The nice thing about EV is that we've seen that those partnerships developing for a few years now. Um, you know, Volkswagen and, and Ford are working together on EV, JLR are somewhere in the mix as well. So what's going to happen is they're probably all going to be working off very similar um, skateboard type designs for vehicles. They're going to have very similar battery uh, capabilities. You know, part of the Tesla vision wasn't just vehicles. It was being able to supply those batteries to other manufacturers as well um, and, and do them at scale. So, you know, once we can start to deploy EV or develop EV at scale, that's when we start to see the margins widen on these vehicles. The other, I guess, side of that is, uh, and, and I've actually battled with this quite a bit in my own head previously, is do we want people to be owning EV? Do we want people to be owning vehicles full stop? Is the the the, the thing we should be aiming for actually is, is putting these vehicles into shared fleets where they're being utilized more? Because at the moment we hardly, you know, a vehicle, I think the stat is 4%. Vehicle sits on, uh, a vehicle is in use 4% of its time, whereas actually shared and electric, um, one, it will be in use, you know, maybe 50, 60, 70% of the time. And also they have greater longevity. So, you know, maybe they're better off purposed in 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 fleet vehicles where it makes so much sense from a, from a fleet's point of view to have electric vehicles and they're constantly in use uh, and, and generating revenue. So, yeah, you know, part of me wants everyone to be using EV, but part of me wants everyone to just be able to access electric vehicles when they need them, um, rather than have to pay those high upfront costs and then, you know, not not really get a bit of utilization out of them. So, yeah, look, Dyson kind of came and went in this, and actually their vehicle looked really nice, which is a bit. And then, you know, I hope that someone like Dyson ends up um, playing in this space, whether it be supporting other manufacturers with bits of of engineering whether that's battery or or wider you know i'm keen for british company like dyson to be playing in the space and you know tesla is now the most valuable car company in the world and that's not based on the amount of vehicles they're pushing out every month and year that's based on the the future potential of ev but also the autonomy side of stuff as well and the fleet side of things and, and the business models that that these vehicles enable so there's a much bigger play available to these manufacturers if they skip just trying to ship as many as they can to consumers does that make sense yeah absolutely i think we are shifting towards subscription services and pay-as-you-go models only paying for what we need you just have to look at the subscription services we use right now netflix and spotify as an as an example we pay for services that are continuously growing and take away the workload from us. And as you mentioned, I think it is a lot more efficient to have fleets to maximize usage rather than have cars sitting on our driveways and having to pay for car tax, insurance and maintenance. So we talked about profitability as a potential challenge, but isn't another challenge the impact it would have to the grid? Because if we all move towards electric vehicles, can the grid even cope with this? And some may argue, are electric vehicles even cleaner because you burn fossil fuels to generate electricity anyway? 
I know in Norway they generate most of their power through hydropower, and that is actually how they are leading in this space. So, do we need more innovations like that to actually produce electricity in a more renewable way, rather than just utilizing the existing infrastructure that we have in our countries? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting challenge. Um, I think EVs, just, you know, trying to compare apples with pears a little bit, but EVs are definitely cleaner whether they're being run by the UK grid or not. Yeah. Australia, it's slightly different because the Australian grid is very, very dirty because they are run on, on coal. Um, and so in, in some areas, they are less clean technically than traditional vehicles. The, the counter argument to that is actually you're not getting the tailpipe emissions uh, and therefore the local air quality impacts of conventional vehicles with, with electric. So you know there are immediate localized benefits to using electric vehicles, but then yes, we need to make sure that the energy systems are are transitioning to cleaner fuels as well. I think one of the interesting areas that's evolving quite quickly at the moment is the smart grid technology facilitation. So, you know, things like vehicle to grid, how do we discharge and recharge vehicles at certain times of day that suits the grid, but also the consumer to make sure they're not left with an empty uh, battery when they when they really need it. And on the other side of that, doing interesting ways of moving power uh, around the grid at certain times of days to, to, to make it really efficient and, and keep it in balance. Um, mm-hmm. So we're starting to see tech play into that world and, and help manage the grid um, in real time. There's definitely a role that renewables, I think, can now play even, even more so given this extra battery capability that's coming onto the, the energy system uh, through electric vehicles as well. And what are your thoughts on hydrogen? Is it overhyped? Do you think it will really take off? Yeah, I don't think it's overhyped. Um, I think in many circles it's underhyped, to be honest with you. Like mm. you speak to a lot of folks in industry and EV is the way, but I'm also, I also think horses for courses, right? I think hydrogen definitely has a role in the economy. Problem is uh, infrastructure to a point. I mean, we do have. You know, we've got a good national electricity infrastructure in place. We do in the UK have, you know, a good gas grid that we could repurpose with hydrogen if we wanted to. But in the short term, trying to get hydrogen into vehicles is a real challenge and, you know, more similar to traditional ways of fueling vehicles. It's really clean. So, you know, in that respect, I do like it. And it's um, highly energy dense. So, you know, three minutes of refueling um, a hydrogen car gets you five, six hundred miles up. five or six hundred miles out of that that vehicle so you know from that point of view it really does stack up i'd actually like to see it used in more longer longer range vehicles potentially trains as well you know for them people that are doing long range logistics you know actually using hydrogen makes a lot more sense over electric because you don't want them stopping for 30 minutes on the way to their, their destination or a couple of times on their way to their destination. So yeah, long, term, long, long range logistics makes a lot of sense for hydrogen. Okay, so we've touched on electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, renewable energy, but what I really want to know is what is your vision for the future? What do you want to see? Easy question. You know, I think for me, the, the key thing is about giving people a better way of life. Like it sounds silly, but I think we can be we can be sustainable. I think we've got the technology, engineering capability, the people in the world now to make 
us all be able to live really good lives that are increasingly more sustainable. Um, so, you know, I think there's a massive um, challenge for urban mobility, which, you know, is an area that I'm really interested in and, and kind of focused on at the moment. But yeah, I think if we can actually give more people access to transportation than we currently have, give more people access to jobs, give more people access to leisure facilities and other things without the need to own vehicles, et cetera, whilst making sure that um, our energy systems and the vehicles that we're using are, are right for our environment and, and also our, our local uh, cities. You know, that's the kind of vision I think I have, and it's super achievable as well. And what can we all start doing as individuals to help with this transition to help us as a society become more sustainable? Yeah, look, I think um, there's an initial bit of recognition of how we're uh, not necessarily traveling today and right now, but how we've historically been uh, using private transportation or um, high emitting vehicles in the world and just recognizing our own carbon footprint. I actually think there's a gap in society of uh, having real understanding of the impact that I'm having on on the world. Uh, and once you've got that kind of initial recognition, I think, you know, you can start to to change your behavior. I think behavior, and behavioral trends is what we're trying to drive here, right? We want people to be traveling in, in slightly different ways. So we need people to be using better forms of transport. So I think one, understanding uh, the problems that you've been uh, working with for, for many years, but then also start to look at what the different other solutions are that's coming through because there's so much innovation happening and so much really cool stuff. Like, you know, I remember when Uber first came out, like that became a cool thing to do. And actually Uber in, in many ways is, is a, a more sustainable solution than, than private vehicle ownership. So, you know, we need more of these services to come through, but we need people to be able to engage with what's happening to then move in slightly different ways. But like I say, my, I really don't believe we're going to change the behavior of everyone. But I think if we can start to offer people alternatives that don't necessarily need massive behavioral change, that's when we can start to drive the biggest, the biggest benefits to society. Yeah, for sure. I also think it comes down to convenience. I think we value convenience the most. We like things to be easily accessible and quick. And if we can portray the alternative transport methods in those ways, I'm sure people will adopt it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look at Amazon, right? Actually, Amazon Australia is very different because you don't get the same sort of turnaround on delivery. But I remember in the UK, when like some things you can get an hour or two hour delivery on things, which is just kind of like, super convenient, but also not necessarily best best for the world. But it's very difficult to then go back from you can't then scale that back to just next day delivery because people are now used to the the, the hyper convenience that that offers. Whereas in Australia, you know, things are still like three or four days delivery because they're in warehouse bloody miles away. And so, but, but there's no expectation that it's going to be any quicker or no need for it to be any quicker. So people are just accepting mm-hmm. it that when you start to bring more convenience to things, that's when you're setting precedent for how... Of the standard, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Thanks a lot, Luke. Always a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate the work you're doing and I think you are making a massive impact to the world and I'm sure we can move towards more sustainable transport in the near future. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me on, mate, and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. No worries. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There is certainly going to be a huge amount of innovation in this space over the next couple of years, 
With the rise of ride-hailing services and even electric bikes and scooters scattered across our cities, we can move around without essentially owning a car. I have started walking around London a lot more where I would have usually got an Uber or the Tube and it is something that I will continue doing in the future as much as I can. We all need to be conscious about how we move and as we have seen recently, the positive impact by reducing the number of cars on the road has significantly helped our planet. We don't need lockdowns to drive change. We can drive it all together. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe so you can get a notification when a new episode is released. Also share it with your friends and family or whoever you think would be interested in this episode. I would really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to reach out to myself, you can find me on Instagram. I'll leave the info in the show notes and I'll see you all in the next episode.